Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, what what a blessing it is for us to be able to come here this morning and to worship. Lord, we were created to worship you. And Lord, we do that through our lifting up our voices and singing. Lord, we do that when we open up your word and we read and we listen for what you have to say to us. We do that, Lord, through our prayers. Lord, and so we're here to worship. I ask that you would take this time this morning. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts Lord, that you have already begun to prepare the soil of our heart to be able to receive the good seed of your word. So we thank you, Jesus. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we kind of ended chapter 3 last week with a really great moment. We saw Jesus coming to be baptized, and we, we talked about the fact that Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he had sins to be repented, repenting of, but that he was supposed to be numbered with the transgressors, it says, as one of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And so he comes down to be numbered with the transgressors there. Um, and it says that he goes into the water, and when he comes up, he's praying, and it says that the heavens open up and this Holy Spirit descends like a dove and alights on Jesus. And we hear the voice of the father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you know, the idea is that Jesus was well pleasing to the father because he was always obedient to the father's will. You see that throughout the entire story of Jesus. He's always saying, I have to be about the will of my father. And what an incredible high point right here before Jesus begins this public ministry that he knows is coming. What an incredible highlight in his life, the father coming down and speaking and coming, like speaking out of heaven uh, and saying, this is my son and the Holy Spirit being present. And an amazing moment for us because we could see right in that moment, the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all there present in that one moment, in this one moment right here. But now in chapter four, we're going to see now Jesus go into the wilderness where he's going to be tempted by Satan. So we have high point, like really high point in Jesus's life. And then right after that, we see this moment of dryness and hunger and temptation come right along behind it. So let's go ahead. Let's look at chapter four. It says, then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, maybe that seems strange to you, actually. It was like that, that the Holy Spirit would lead Jesus out into the wilderness, and then he would be tempted by the devil. I mean, did, did, did God not see that coming? Did he not know that that was going to happen? Of course he knew. And there was purpose behind it. In fact, in order to really understand the purpose, we need to look to the book of Hebrews. See, according to Hebrews chapter 5, God had appointed high priests from among the people to take to make the necessary sacrifices for the people's sins. They would shed the innocent blood of an animal in order to cover the sins every year. And the high priest's job was to offer that sacrifice in order to cover sins had to be done every single year. 
In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, it says that the high priest could have compassion on the people and their sins because he was also subject to weakness as well. He could relate to their need. He could relate to their weaknesses because he also was subject to weakness. He was a man just like they were. So the high priest was subject to the same weakness. But God gave us a great high priest. And that great high priest, and the word great there makes all the difference. The great high priest is Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, although there were many high priests at this time, only from time to time through history here, there was only one great high priest. And his sacrifice for sin didn't cover sin. It cleansed sin. It washed it away because it was the perfect sacrifice. See, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could only cover, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who came from heaven, who lived a perfect life, was sufficient to not just cover, but to cleanse, put away sin once and forever. And that's why there is only one great high priest. There's only need for one great high priest. But like the high priests at this time, Jesus can have compassion and sympathize with us because it says that he um, was tempted in all points as we are tempted in all points. And that's the purpose of this chapter that we're looking at to show us that he was tempted in all points as we are tempted so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. So that we don't look at him and say, well, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. He can't know. And Jesus would say, I can know. I was tempted in all points as you were, but I did not sin, it says. Do you catch something right there? Being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation is. Being tempted is a sin. So if, you, if, if you, you're going through your week and, the, and Satan's coming in and he's, he's tempting you by, by putting thoughts in your mind and he's saying, you should do this or you should look at that or you should try this or, or you know, it's just a small lie. Right there you have a moment to say, I will resist this or I will give into that. That's the choice that we all have to make when temptation comes. Temptation isn't sin. Giving into temptation, that's the sin. That's why Jesus goes into the devil so that, he could, so that we could see and we can know that he, although he is the great high priest, was tempted in all points the way that we also are tempted so he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But there's more, but it's at the end, so hold on. So he was led out to the devil. In verse 2 it says, And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. You think? <laughs> Jesus was man, fully man, fully God at this point. And so if he hadn't eaten in 40 days, in, in the other Gospels, this is also in Mark a little bit, and in Luke, pretty, there's a pretty good account in Luke as well, it says that he ate nothing. For 40 days, he ate nothing. And so, I, like, oftentimes I'll be like, people will say, that's impossible. You can't fast for 40 days. You can't eat nothing for 40 days. In fact, you can. You can actually fast without food for 40 days. It ain't easy. And not that I'm speaking from experience. 
but you can do it. It can be done. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of steps and a lot of things that go through it, but you can fast for 40 days. And this is what I'm told. Again, I've never done this, so I'm not speaking from my own personal experience, but after a few days of being hungry, the hunger pains go away. Right? And then you go that whole stretch of time without feeling hungry. But about the time you start feeling hungry again, which is about 40 days, that's your body saying, look, you better start eating something or I'm going to eat you from the inside out. Essentially, that is what your body is saying. And I'm going to start with the fatty organs, which, you know, for some of us, that's a feast for our bodies. <laughs> But by 40 days, if you've not eaten, you are hungry and you are weak. You're weak. You're not running half marathons after 40 days of fasting. You're not doing much. You're, you're pretty much sitting still and you begin to get very hungry and you're weak. And look at what happens. This is when we see the tempter come to Jesus. Well, with this kind of attack. Did you know in Luke's gospel, it actually says that it was 40 days of temptation? Not that the devil waited for 40 days. It was like, now I've got him because now he's weak. He tempted him every day for 40 days. Because you could look at this and be like, oh, well, yeah, I only see three temptations. And if he was tempted in all things that I'm tempted, I'm tempted in more than just three ways. He was tempted in every way for 40 days. These three that Matthew gives us, these are the worst three. We're going to look at that for 40 days. But when he is the weak at his weakest point, the devil comes in with these three big temptations. It says the devil came. You know that when you are a weak, a weak, a weak, when you are weak and alone is when you are most vulnerable to attack. Do you, do you guys agree with that? Is that? You ever find yourself in that place where, you're weak and alone, and that's when you really start feeling the temptations to do what it is that you know you shouldn't be doing come in. When you're alone, and maybe it's when you're alone is when you're weakest, rather than when you're weak and, and alone. And that's when the devil comes and says, oh, I've got him separated from the pack. You know, when the lions go after the herd, what do they look for? That one weak animal off by himself, that's the one that I'm going to go after. And this is, what the, that, this is what the devil does as well. When you're weak, when you're alone, he's going to come in for that attack. Now be prepared. You've been, now you've been warned. But you're not on your own here. It says, when the tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. The devil, Satan, comes to Jesus now, again, this isn't the first time. It's been over the course of 40 days, but he's coming in with his big guns now. And he says, if you are the son of God. Now, he's not really asking him if you are the son of God. Satan just heard God speak 40 days earlier from this guy saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In Greek grammar, the sentence actually says, since you are the son of God. Since you are the son of God, make these stones into bread. Since Jesus sent you the son of God, prove it. Prove it. You're hungry. Jesus, prove your divine power and turn these stones into bread and feast. You're hungry, Jesus. You know, Satan was saying, come on, Jesus, let your spirit be subject to your flesh. Turn these stones to bread and feast. How tempting would that be for Jesus? He's hungry. In his human form, he's hungry. And, and here you go, you've got someone comes and goes, come on, Jesus, you're the son of God. 
Use that divine power and turn these stones into bread and feed your body. Could Jesus have done that? He could have turned the entire wilderness into a golden corral buffet if he wanted to. But that was not the will of the Father. Jesus would not allow his flesh to be in authority over his spirit. That's hard, isn't it? What a battle that is. The battle between your flesh and your spirit. And which one's going to win? Which one's going to win in the battle between flesh and spirit? Whichever one you feed the most. You pour into your flesh, you pour into your flesh, but you never take time to get into the word. Guess what's going to win? Your flesh. I heard it explained like this. Think of it as like you've got two dogs on a leash. One is called spirit and one is called flesh. If you feed the fleshly dog more, that dog's going to pull the other dog along wherever it goes. Whichever one you feed most, what is, how do you feed your spirit? Well, this is a good start. This is a good start. Worshiping through song, praying, getting together with people who are like-minded, sharing in lies with one another are great ways to feed your spirit. It also is a great way to keep each other accountable so that you're not feeding your flesh or putting at least your flesh in authority over your spirit. Jesus answers him. Look at this. He says, but he answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus, we're going to see three times answers with scripture. Three times he, he answers Satan's challenge with scripture, but not just any scripture. He answers all three times from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, if you were here, however many months ago it was, where we walked through the book of Deuteronomy, and we said that it actually starts, the very book starts with, these are the words. These are the words that God gave to Moses, who gave to the people. These are the words of encouragement, of direction. Uh, These are the words. Jesus loved the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes from it all the time. In fact, when I see this, and I see through this entire chapter, his, he, cha- he answers the challenges of Satan by quoting only the book of Deuteronomy, makes me believe that it's very likely, and I, look, this is speculation, gang, so just roll with me on this a little bit, that while he was out in the wilderness by himself communing with the Father, that he might have been meditating on the book of Deuteronomy. He would know it. He wrote it. But possibly he's sitting there and he's meditating on the book of Deuteronomy. You understand that he is about to leave his anonymous life and begin public ministry that he knows is going to lead to his crucifixion. And so possibly he's reading through such verses. I wrote a couple down for you. Deuteronomy 130, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. Possibly Jesus is feeding his soul with these words. Deuteronomy 20, chapter 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And 36, uh, 31.6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Jesus may be feeding his soul with these words from Deuteronomy, from encouragement from the Father. In 33.27, it says, the eternal God is your refuge And underneath are the everlasting arms. Now, I don't know for sure 
But it's possible that Jesus, while he was in this time, is meditating on these words to encourage him from the Father as he prepares to go into public ministry that will ultimately lead to his death, his crucifixion. And so when Satan comes to him with these challenges, he's pulling out Deuteronomy left and right. You shall, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus says you cannot live on bread alone. You can't simply, you can't live simply by feeding your flesh. You need the word of God. John writes in his gospel this about Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. And in chapter 11 of John's gospel, Jesus himself will say, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying there, and I believe he's saying here, you cannot live without Jesus. You cannot live <coughs> without Jesus or water. And the devil goes on. He's not going to let up. <clears throat> it says, then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him in the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if or since you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Satan says, oh, you want to quote scripture? All right. I know scripture. Does that surprise you? That Satan knows and is willing to quote scripture? If it's written down for other people to read, you know Satan knows scripture because he's looking at it going like, how can I use this against him? What can I find in here? How can I challenge him? How can I say, well, yeah, but the Bible says this over here and you know, you know, and he says to him, okay, let's quote scripture, Jesus. In the first challenge, he said, since you're the son of God, prove it, Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't live by bread, you live by the word of God. And so he says, oh, all right. Um, then how about this? If you are the son of God or since you are the son of God, let's have God prove it. Throw yourself down from this pinnacle of this temple and see if he sends his angels in like, like his word says that he will do. First of all, if, this, if, if Satan comes to you and quotes scripture, know that it's out of context and, and, and not interpreted correctly. Satan does not want to help you. By the way, when he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, feed yourself with this bread. Feed yourself. You're hungry. It seems like maybe he cares a little bit about Jesus' well-being. Jesus, you're hungry. You have the power. Just make some bread. Does, do you think Satan really cares? Do you think he cares even a little? You know, so number one, he just knows that that's up. A, a button. At that moment in Jesus' life, he thinks he's hungry. This is a button. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to push that button. I'm going to use it. Uh, I'll get him to do what it is that I want him to do. All he has to do is, is make this bread, these stones into bread, and then we're on our way. He doesn't care. Also, I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know what a meal looks like on day 41 of a 40-day fast? It looks like day 40. You, if you come off a, a, a foodless fast for 40 days, the first three days are still just liquids. 
just liquids. And then days, you know, four, five, and six are, you know, the first four, actually, excuse me, the first three days are half water, half broth or juice or something like that. Then the next couple of days are full on, full on juice. Mmm. And you slowly wean yourself back onto solid food. Do you know what happens if you eat, if you, if you like finished 40 days and you're like, yes, I did it. Let's go to Culver's. And off you go. You might actually die if you were to eat a full meal like that after a 40-day foodless fast. You certainly will be in extraordinary agony on the inside. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to be in agony. He does not want anything good for you. He will masquerade as someone who cares. He will masquerade as an angel of light, the Bible says, but he wants nothing good for you. He wants only to destroy you. That's it. That's it. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, let's, how about we have God prove that you're the son of God? Do this, he says, create a crisis that he will have to then act to show that you are his son. Throw yourself down and see what happens. Why not create a crisis and see if God will do what he says he will do? Put yourself in authority over God. That's what he says right there. Put yourself over authority of God. Create a situation where God must act according to my will or he's not who he claims to be. Make God prove himself to you, Satan says to Jesus. Jesus answers simply, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus says he doesn't need to prove himself to us. We don't command God to act No matter how much faith we claim to have, God acts within his will. Satan says, Jesus, put yourself in authority over God and do something that will make him act according to your will. Jump off. Jesus says, you do not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This, now we're getting to it. This is the the devil's motivation. He wants to be worshiped. We're created to worship. I prayed at the beginning. We are created to worship. Who are you worshiping? If it is not God, then it is someone or something else. Who are you worshiping? Satan says to Jesus, all you have to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll give you every kingdom that you see, all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give it to you. Was it Satan's to give? Well, in fact, it was. See, God gave Adam dominion over all the earth. When he created the earth, created man, he put man in dominion over all the earth. But Adam and Eve sinned and handed over dominion of the earth to Satan. Handed it over. Satan in Luke's gospel actually says right here, it has been delivered to me when he's talking about all the kingdoms of the world. So Satan does 
or is at least able to make this claim. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it calls Satan the God of this world. And Ephesians, if you remember, it says that he is the prince and the power of the air. But don't be afraid because God is ultimately still in control. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and it's all its fullness, the world and all who dwell within it. But for the time he has turned over dominion or it has been delivered to him because of sin. And so, yes, Satan can make this claim to Jesus. He can come to Jesus and say, if you bow down and worship me, I can give you all of the kingdoms and all of their glory. Do you see what what Satan is really saying to Jesus right here? Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross to gain all the kingdoms of the world. You just have to bow down and worship me. Just, you know what, forget about that whole painful trip to the cross, about the nails and the scourging and the bleeding and the dying. Forget all that. You don't have to do any of that, Jesus. All you have to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll give this all to you. You just have to worship me, and then I'll give you all of the glory of the kingdoms of the, of the world. Whew, how tempting that must have been. How tempting for Jesus to be like, you know what? I don't have to go to the cross, do I? I could get all the glory of all of the kingdoms of the world. I could get all of it, and I would never have to die painfully as I know is coming. How tempting would that be for Jesus? But do you understand that if Jesus had accepted Satan's offer, he may have received the kingdoms of the world and their glory, but he would not redeem humanity. Because only going to the cross, shedding his blood and dying was what redeemed humanity. We still would be lost. He may have the kingdom of the glory, but we'd be lost. And that's why he came. He came to redeem humanity. He already has the glory. He doesn't need more glory. He already has it all. All glory is his. He came to redeem us. I'm so glad that he did not give in to that temptation. Because I'd still be lost. You'd be lost. We'd all be lost. Incidentally, (laughs) do you think that Jesus accepted that offer? If Jesus had said, yeah, that's a pretty good deal think I'll take you up on that, Satan. Satan would have actually given him all the kingdoms and all their glory after he had bowed down and worshipped him. Do you think he would have done it? No! He lies! Satan lies. The Bible calls him the father of lies. He lies. That's all he does. You know what? Like, we begin to think, you ever see a movie where someone makes, like, a deal with the devil and then somehow through the course of the movie, they're able to like win back their soul. And then the Satan takes out the contract and he rips it all up. Do you, would you think he would actually rip that up? He'd be like, too bad. I don't keep my promises. I'm the devil. There's no reason to think that he would keep, he'd be like, okay, Jesus, here you go. You know, here's the keys and you know, here's the glory and the kingdom. There's no reason to think that he would ever do it anyway. He lies. Don't be taken in when, when someone, when, I mean, it seems even crazy to say, do not make deals with the devil. He lies. Do you know what he wants to see? Your destruction. 
He wants it. You know, the devil, the devil could pick this book up and read it all the way to the end. You know what he sees? According to this book, he loses at the end. He goes into the lake of fire forever. So either Satan is like, well, if that's my fate, okay, but I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. Or he's so arrogant that he believes that there's something that he can do to stop all of this from happening, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, thinking that maybe he could stop it somewhere along the way. I don't know which way it goes, although I do know that he is arrogant. That was the reason for his fall. I will ascend above the throne of heaven. I will be like the God Almighty. And God says, uh, no, you're created. And out he goes. Oh, man. Jesus says to him, enough, away with you. And Lucas says, get behind me, Satan. He basically says to him, okay, we're done. We're done. You're out. And in fact, do you know what happens? Jesus has the last word because Jesus says, you know what, Satan, go. And what does Satan have to do? He has to go. He has to go. From that point on, Jesus says to um, get away. He says, what does he say? Uh, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. He says, I can't, I can't even worship you. I couldn't do it anyway because you are only to worship the Lord your God. It says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The, word that, the, the way that's worded in Greek is they brought him food. I don't know what it was. Honey cake. Maybe locusts. I'm not sure. You can, maybe you can eat locusts and honey after a 40-day fast. Juice. Angels came and they ministered to Jesus. If you were to look at this in Luke's gospel, it says that of the devil, it says that he departed until an opportune time. You know what the devil, the devil didn't be like, okay, you win. I guess I'm done. I'm just going to go off and be quiet and bother somebody else. No, he says, you know what? I'll go because I have to, but I'm going to wait for another opportunity to come in. I'm going to wait for that chance when maybe you're weak again. I'm going to wait for that chance where maybe I could tempt you again. And in fact, we see him come back two more times. The first time is when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, uh, guys, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say John the Baptist and some people say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say uh, one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps right up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, blessed are you, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then just shortly after that, Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, he begins to explain to them that he is going to have to go to Jerusalem where he is going to be abused by, beaten, crucified, and killed by the Pharisees. And he also, by the way, includes, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead, which Peter apparently doesn't hear that part. Peter steps up and like takes him aside. G Peter... Now, feeling very less like, <laughs> I gave the right answer. <laughs> Jesus is going to build his church on me, which is not true, by the way. Jesus said, on this, I will build my church. You are Peter. I'm on this. He doesn't say, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. 
He says, I'm going to build my church on the fact that I am the son of the living God. Somehow that got misinterpreted somewhere along the way. But Peter's feeling really good about himself, and he says, i got to take Jesus aside here. It says that he rebukes Jesus for talking about his own death on the cross, and he says, Jesus, don't say that. That will never happen. Do you hear what's happening right here? Peter is coming to Jesus with the same temptation that he just heard, that we just read about. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Stop talking about the cross. That's not going to happen. You don't have to go there. Jesus recognizes it because what is his answer to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. The exact same words that he said to Satan in the desert when Satan came and said, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer and die. And Peter says, Jesus, don't don't talk about that. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer and die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not know the things of the Father. You only know the things of man, he says. Man, I do feel a little bit bad for Peter in that moment. You know, Peter's feeling real good about himself. Like, I got the answer right. Jesus likes me best. (laughs) I was like, Jesus, come over here. Let me have, you know what? Let me tell you what's going on here. Um, Don't talk that way. And and BB looks at me and goes, get behind. He calls him Satan. Get behind me. Get away from me. I mean, Peter, Peter, just always putting his foot in his mouth, isn't he? I won't deny you, Jesus, if everybody else runs away, but I'm not going to. He's the only one that he actually is recorded that does. Peter. Sadly, I just identify way too much with Peter. Is, is, are any other Peters in the room? Just me and Shane and Sherry. That's okay. That's all right. The next time is when Jesus is actually on the cross. In Matthew 27, 41, Jesus is on the cross and he's dying. And the chief priests and the scribes, they mock him. And they say, if you are the son of God, same words that Satan uses, come down off the cross and we will believe you. They say the same thing. Jesus, if you really are the son of God, just come off the cross. When we see that, you don't have to suffer anymore. You don't actually have to die. We will believe you if you just do this. If you come down off the cross. Man, there is at maybe a lower point, a weaker point maybe, where you're nailed dying to a cross, that there might be some temptation, some temptation that comes along in. Thankfully, Jesus did not. Could he have come off the cross? At that point, could Jesus have been like, you know what? You're right. I'm coming down. Angels, earthquakes, more angels, because there's a lot of angels, apparently. He could have. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jesus, the Son of God, holds all things together by the word of his power. Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. Do you know what that means? Do you know the implication of that? Is that the very nails through his flesh, holding him to the cross, he held together as they were driving them through his hands and his feet. The very cross itself that he bore down the road and was nailed to, he held together while he hung there dying. He held it all 
he could have vaporized each one of those mocking Pharisees in that moment by thinking about it. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was my sin. It was your sin. But he stayed on that cross holding the nails together so that I could be forgiven of my sin, so that you could be forgiven of your sin, so that we could say, I believe that he did that. And he says, if you believe that I died for your sins, then you will live forever with me in heaven. Man. Does that blow your mind? That Jesus literally held together the instruments of his own death for your sake? So that he could have come off. He could have received all the glory. Would would they have worshipped him had he come off the cross? Maybe. Actually, they may have. But he said, this must happen this way. This is how I forgive. This is how I cleanse the sin of the whole world. By dying on the cross, by shedding my blood and dying so that I can be raised from the dead. He could have stopped it at any time, but he didn't. I cannot be more grateful. I could not be more grateful. Ultimately, Jesus resists the temptation of Satan in chapter 4. And he does it in such a way that is very significant to you and to me. He does it by clinging to the word of God. Do you understand? There's no miracle or supernatural act that he performs to be able to resist. He does it by clinging to God's word. In this way, he is a man filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to God, relying on the sword of God. The same for us. Not only is he tempted in all ways, but he resisted temptation in a way that we all also can resist temptation by clinging to the word of God. If you recall in Ephesians Paul writes about the armor of God, the only piece of the armor that can actually be used to fend off an enemy is the sword. All the other armor goes on you and it repels attacks, but the sword is the only part that you can actually use to fend off an attacker. Paul says that it is the word of the spirit, the sword is the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is the sword that we use to fend off the attacker. How do you do that? How do you use the, do you just get a really big Bible and just like chuck it at someone who's coming at you? You could try it. You've got a real big one. How do you use the word of God, the sword of God? How do you use it? You have to read it. You have to be in it. You have to let it become a part of who you are. You have to memorize scripture so that when an attack comes, you can refute Satan with scripture as Jesus does. He doesn't work a miracle. 
He quotes scripture to him in sense. He's saying, this is what the word of God says. I believe this, not what you're saying. I believe this, not what you're saying. You know, right now the world is going to come at you with all kinds of what I think is like sandy logic and truth, meaning that it complete, it changes all the time. It's shifting all the time. Today, this is true. Today, that's true. Today, this is true. You should think this. You should think that. Don't think what I told you yesterday. Think that what I'm telling you today. And we say, no, I believe this, not you. Not what you're saying. I believe this. If what you say is different than this, then I don't believe you. I believe this. I stand on this. And you pull out that sword. Remember when we talked about the, the, the armor in Ephesians 6, we said, if you've got a really shiny, beautiful sword, but it's just mounted up on your wall, you never touch it, you don't know how to use it, what good is it doing you? No good. None good. No good. <laughs> it's worthless. You got to take that thing off the wall. You got to learn how to use it. And you got to be prepared to pull that thing out. How do you use the word of God? Memorize scripture. Here's your first fencing lesson. Here it is. Okay. James 4. 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. First lesson, go home and practice. James 4, 7 and 8. Resist, uh, submit to God. Really first step. That's like doing this. Because if your sword is sheathed and you try and use it, it's not going to work. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Didn't Jesus just demonstrate that? Resist the devil and the devil fled. Flee. <laughs> I almost said fleed. It's a rare morning. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hold on to that. This week when temptations come, and they will, they will, especially if you come out of this message thinking, oh, that was great. I'm going to hold on to that stuff. And you go out and the devil's going to say, let's see. Let's see if you really heard anything. And temptations will come. And you will say, no, I submit to God. Do that first. Do you, we, we need that. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much. Lord, I just say, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for those times, so many times that I give into temptation, that I choose the way that I know is wrong. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I love coming before you and asking for forgiveness because I know that you forgive me when I ask and you cleanse me. So thank you, Jesus. I don't have to walk around with the weight of unconfessed sin because I know I can confess it, Lord. So forgive me, please. Lord, I confess right now and you know the things. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I pray for all of us here that as we go out today that we would take the word with us, just, not just the words we heard today, Lord, but what you're speaking to us, the examples of Jesus Christ, cling to the word to resist temptation in our life. Thank you, Lord, for not giving in to the temptation to come down off that cross. Without it, I'd be lost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice of your perfect blood that cleanses me from sin. 
Thank you, Lord. Lord, I look forward to the day when I am in your presence in heaven. What a glorious day that will be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for anyone here today that does not know you. Lord, I pray for anyone here, Lord, who does not have a relationship, who cannot say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Lord, I pray for them right now. Lord, would you speak to their hearts, Lord? Would you draw them in, Lord Jesus? Thank you, Lord. I pray for each and every one of these folks that are here today, Lord, as I know that they will be tempted above normal as they go out of this building today, Lord. I pray that they would hold on to the sword of the word of God, submit to you, resist the devil, and draw near to you today and this whole week, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen.